on to our main event. Uh, we're very pleased to welcome one of our favorite local writers, Diane McCormick, to the Scholar. <laughs> she has written a brand new book of local history with maybe the best title of 2019, Well-Behaved Taverns Seldom Make History, Pennsylvania Pubs Where Rabble Rousers and Rum Runners Stirred Up Revolutions. How about that? <laughs> she is joined on stage by Harrisburg's own Sarah Bozich. <laughs> now, a little bit about who we have on stage here. Sarah started her blog, sarahbozich.com, nearly 15 years ago, where she's dedicated to helping her readers get the most out of the greater Harrisburg area, whether covering new and exciting ventures on her blog, hosting events throughout the region, or working with local companies behind the scenes. Sarah has made a name for herself promoting this region. And just a sidebar, this is true, I moved to Harrisburg just a little over a year ago. And uh, Sarah's blog has really become an invaluable resource for me for all local happenings around the area. So um, definitely visit her website. And uh, Sarah, how do you get to, how do you subscribe to your newsletter? Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, that, um, well, you can follow me on social media anywhere at Sarah Bozich, and that'll give you a link. And also on sarahbozich.com, there's a sign up link. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Uh, and uh, Sarah's other ventures include working as a producer for local video production company, GK Visual, um, and co founder and co organizer of Harrisburg Beer Week and a proud mom to her toddler, Beau, who never seems to stop moving or growing. <laughs> <laughs> Diane McCormick has degrees in journalism, American studies, and creative nonfiction, which attests to her love of writing the real stories of real people. Her parents' tales of growing up in Pennsylvania's anthracite region, plus the weird and wonderful things sold in her mom's antique shops, gave her the idea that the past must be a cool place to visit. We agree. She has written for the Patriot News, the Berg, Susquehanna Style, Harrisburg Magazine, as well as many other media outlets. And she has served for 10 years as press secretary to a Pennsylvania House of Representatives leader and gubernatorial candidate. She and her husband live in a circa 1910 home in Harrisburg with two cats who never lift a paw to help clean or renovate. <laughs> Well-behaved taverns is her first book. A huge thank you to Sarah and Diane for kicking off our event series in 2019. So without further ado, please join me in giving a warm Harrisburg welcome to Sarah Bozich and Diane McCormick. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. So, Diane, Thank you want to get started with a reading, right? Yeah. We're just going to get this right off, the, right off the bat. Thank you all. My goodness, so many faces I know, so many I don't. This is just incredible. Thank you so much for coming out on a semi-chilly day, but I'm so excited to see everyone here. We'll get into you know, what inspired the book, why it matters, uh, what you can find in it. But I want to ask a question for those of you, um, if you have read the book or think back to before you knew this book existed, had anyone here ever heard of Freeze Rebellion? Not one hand, not even Howard? Not even Helen Parker. <laughs> well, my, oh, my husband said, yeah. <laughs> Freeze Rebellion was one of the finds of this book. It was a made-to-order Pennsylvania tax anti-tax rebellion, post-whiskey rebellion, but it was a doozy because it was a bunch of Pennsylvania German farmers who were angry about a tax on their homes, and they took tax collectors hostage, and their wives poured boiling water on these guys, and it actually involved two of the taverns that I found for this book and uh, which was quite the find. So I wanted to share with you a point when uh, they are going from one tavern, McCool's, in Quakertown, to another in, um, in Bethlehem, the Sun Inn. 
When we last left the anti-tax freeze rebellion, it was 1798, and farmers fueled by rage and alcohol were holding tax assessors hostage in the Quakertown Tavern known as Enix, now McCool's at the historic Red Lion Inn. Adjourning to another tavern, they learned that 19 of their compatriots were being held at the Sun Inn in Bethlehem. The mob marched, or more likely by now, staggered the 15 miles to Bethlehem. Some accounts say there were 150 men total, others say 400. In either case, they way outnumbered the guard of 13 or 14 men under U.S. Marshal William Nichols at the Sun Inn. While Nichols prepared for the onslaught, he set a few prisoners free on bail and told them to report to Philadelphia. Then he sent a delegation to meet the insurgents at the Bethlehem Toll Bridge, hoping to talk them into turning back. John Freeze, their leader, stood fast. He would leave this town only with the freed prisoners, so he paid the toll, crossed the bridge, and led his men to the Sun Inn. Let me repeat that. He paid the toll. <laughs> in the middle of an insurgency, over taxes. But this whole fight was over the justness of some laws and the unjustness of others. Tolls made sense. They financed the upkeep of the roads and bridges that farmers and merchants and artisans used to transport their goods to market and, apparently, mount occasional raids on federal jails. So Diane, I think we want to start off first by um, hearing what inspired you to want to tackle this. And I also want to know, um, you know, you and I have both written for a number of different types of publications mm -hmm. and why you chose a book as the venue for the story. Mm -hmm. The idea itself first came at the Jean Benet Tavern in Bedford. How many folks been there? It's yeah, exactly, yeah, Grace goes, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite well known, it's an awesome place. My husband and I do like to go to colorful places with atmosphere as we travel. Um, we always kind of search out the, uh, the locally owned places, the ones with some history or atmosphere to them. And we're sitting there at the Jean Bonnet, which was a hotbed of the Whiskey Rebellion. And I'm having a Sly Fox O'Reilly Stout and probably a burger or a sandwich or something. And I'm looking at the thick stone walls and the verandas and the fireplaces. And I thought, I wonder if I could find similar taverns that have ties to rebellions. It seemed to make sense. Um, so that just kind of sent me on a search. And um, to answer Sarah's question, the idea kicked around a long time. I didn't even say a word to anyone, not even my husband. I just kept it quiet. And I did wonder, book? Yeah, maybe. Log site. Yeah, but then you just, you got to feed it forever. You know, when you start a blog, as Sarah knows, <laughs> they, they, are, they are hungry little beasts. And uh, I just wasn't sure if, if I would have enough material, if I could give it some life. I, I just wasn't sure what shape to put it in. Um, as Alex said, I do have a writing background, mostly on the journalism side, but I've done some longer pieces in reports in state government. Um, and um, so I just kept, I just kept, uh, just went to, kept going to, to a book idea. It, it just kept working on me. And then the early the summer of 2017, I remember I was walking around Italian Lake and I 
realized that I would have some time in the summer, that my work schedule might give me some time to start exploring the idea. Mentioned it to my husband. He said, you know what, that's a good idea. And I said, okay, let's try this. So I contacted a couple of, um, couple of the pubs, McCool's in Quakertown, uh, the one I just read about, the Freeze Rebellion one, and Dobbin House down in Gettysburg, uh, which has a, uh, an underground railroad history. And both of the owners very kindly gave me time, sat down with me, talked to me. And uh, so I, I had the research in hand by the end of the summer. Then I found out that the publisher of, uh, of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr, was going to be at a writer's conference in Lancaster about a week later. So I knocked out a sample <laughs> chapter, gave it to him. He loved it. And uh, so that's where the, the book came about. Well, congratulations again. That's Thank really you. exciting. Um, so for you writing this, uh, or actually your interest, did it lie more in the history side of mm -hmm. things or like the food and drink aspect of things? <laughs> and how did you see that like naturally tying together? <laughs> As a food and drink writer. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I have, I do have a confession to make. I told Sarah this downstairs, and I wasn't sure I would say it, but the, the food and drink part was a more challenging writing for me. I did not grow up in a culinary tradition. <laughs> My siblings are going, yeah. Um, and uh, what? Fish sticks, SpaghettiOs, yeah, yeah, Irish American. Um, <laughs> and uh, but, um, so yeah, I think it really, it was the history, but also the, the living history part of it that is embodied in taverns, in pubs, in restaurants. One of my criteria for places to select was that these be existing restaurants, existing taverns, and a couple of them didn't start as taverns or when the historic events went on that I profile, um, both happened to be in Gettysburg, they, they were private homes at the time, but have since become restaurants. But they had to be places where the owners or proprietors really respected the history that went there and were good stewards of the history. So I guess you could say, yes, it was the history that drove me, but I wanted it to be living history in the sense that you can actually experience it enjoy a good burger and a beer, um, and based on you know the questions that I put to these folks, learn more than, than you might find from just walking in the door. Well, that said, what was your research like? What, was, uh, <laughs> what did it entail? <laughs> Everyone said it was so hard. It must have been so hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, was, uh, it was a matter of, well, first I had to find uh, the likely places, and that was just a lot of, uh, a lot of internet searches. Many places do have historical summaries on their websites, and so I was able to find those places that did have that little bit of rebellion to them, and, and how I defined rebellion was pretty much any place that defied authority in some way or other. And uh, so once I found a place that I thought would be appropriate, I would contact somebody there um, and uh, email, and describe what I was doing, and most of these places really were very, very gracious um, and said, sure, come on out, I'm free on you know, Friday the 14th and I have time for you. And so I would literally drive to these places, most of them were just one day, you know, drive there, drive back, um, just for my own sanity, but um, I would sit with the, th an owner or proprietor, whoever, they felt was you know, qualified to, to tell me about the place. We would 
talk about the history and how they came to be there. And then we would, uh, they'd give me a tour. I'd have some of the food, the drink, uh, not too much of the drink, of course, but, um, and, and then, you know, coming home, then I would get into the research on the historical side of this. But what I loved about the tours was just asking about every, every little piece, every little thing that I saw, and they loved, they, they by and large, they loved just showing off these beautiful places that they really, um, you know, they, they keep them from falling down <laughs> in some cases, but, uh, but they love, love, love these places. So some of these topics of or venues obviously have more um, notable ties than others might. So can mm -hmm. you give us some examples of some of the types of um, people who maybe make appearances in these um, at these locations? Right. Right. Sure. I mean, you're going to meet meet um, you know, George Washington at really some a very low point in his life. In the uh, when he was in southeastern Pennsylvania, he did a lot of strategic retreating, um, and. He lost some battles that perhaps he shouldn't have or that were close call, valiantly fought, but um, still required some stepping back. So when he came to uh, Bluebell, Pennsylvania, he was kind of in the dumps. He had just lost a battle that he should have won or could have won had he not made a pretty blunderous, is that a word? Mistake. Um, so, and, and he's also fighting off a, uh, a cabal that's threatening, trying to overthrow him. So you see them, you know, these these heroic people at their most human. You know, John Adams was quite the gossip, so he sure. pops up in here <laughs> sometimes. Um, but then you have people such as John Freeze, the leader of the Freeze Rebellion, who was just a a charismatic, well-spoken man. He happened to be an auctioneer, so he got around town a lot, and people got to know him, so he started, when he was on a stump, he would start speaking politically, and that turned into organi organizing against this tax. So you meet him, um, you meet, um, <laughs> give me a second, huh, I had this all thought. Um, I had to have some Molly Maguires in there, so you meet them, a lot of nods, thank you. Um, so you meet them as uh, the, the gentleman, uh, to my mind, one of the great villains in Pennsylvania history, a gentleman named Franklin Gowan, who was uh, president of one of the railroad companies that was fighting the Molly Maguires, trying to suppress these miners, they were fighting back through terroristic means, perhaps, but they tried all the legal means they could. And he, uh, he had been a, um, a district attorney before he went into uh, being a, an attorney and, and official for the railroads. So when the Mollies, when a list of 26 or so Mollies were arrested, the state handed the prosecution to Franklin Gowan, the president of the railroads. So the man who was the, felt he was the victim of these crimes was the prosecutor. And he gave these glorious speeches to uh, jurors full of uh, Pennsylvania Germans who didn't speak English, but they were all convicted and hung anyway. Um, so, uh, so you meet uh, you know, the, the villains. John Andre, the spy, makes an appearance a couple of years before he gets tangled up with um, Benedict Arnold. He was, uh, he was very suave, very talented, spoke many languages. He was a good artist, so he was there in Montgomery County gathering intel from a lot of loyalists. You know, this Pennsylvania, as in much of the nation during the Revolution, was not 
uniformly in favor of revolution. So Montgomery County had a lot of loyalists, so he was just kind of worming his way around there, getting the intel that he could. So all sorts of interesting folks. <laughs> um, so I obviously have read through your book, and I've been to maybe like a handful of the mm -hmm. spots on here, and I'm very interested in checking out some more. But for instance, I went to um, Two Rivers, um, is that the <laughs> name of it? No. Yes, Two in Rivers Easton, Brewing yeah. Company mm -hmm. in Easton um, when we were shooting Ford and PA. And um, <laughs> I know that you talk about um, them having a really fantastic burger and I had this salmon salad and I was like, I can't believe I ate this salmon salad now that I know that there was this <laughs> like award-winning burger on this menu. <laughs> but, the, the, but the real thing was is I had no idea about the history of, of that place. They're mm -hmm. not really preserving as much. So right. how did you decide um, you know, which places made the cut? Mm -hmm. And... Um, and how did they make it into this book? It was a matter of finding, I think if they had some references like on their websites as I'm learning about these places, reading about them, if there was some reference to their history, I said, okay, they have an interest here. And you're right at Two Rivers. Um, Two Rivers uh, Brewing Company is in Easton, PA. It was uh, saved, saved from the wrecking ball. It was such a, <laughs> it was such a wreck when the owner bought it at a sheriff's sale that no one had any keys to hand to him, so he had to break into <laughs> his own building. <laughs> and um, but um, they, on their website, do reference the fact that they had been a speakeasy during Prohibition. A couple other things, uh, reference to a brothel. Um, it's like, okay, all right, they got my interest. So, so when I contacted them, they were, yeah, they said, sure, come, we'll talk about the, about the history. And I've been very fortunate in that in many of these towns, all of these towns, there are people who have been passionate about the local history. So um, I was able to, um, to utilize their research as much as I could. Um, I, you know, I didn't have enough time as I would have liked to do like the original go into the archives kind of research that just was not practical um, given the the scope of, of the what we're covering here so so yeah the, I was able to then once I just just a little a little hint would would send me looking and, and they would answer the question and every place that you reference in here is an open functioning location yep. so any mm -hmm. anyone can go visit any of these places and get that same taste exactly exactly yeah and that's what I was that's what I was looking for that that you kind of understand, learn the things that um, the way I've described it, you know, you're not going to read it on the back of the menu, you know, because I, I do, I just tend to, in my writing career, I've learned to be kind of nosy. <laughs> and uh, so you just ask things. Um, I mentioned to Sarah when we were sitting downstairs that at uh, the Jean Bonnet, when you walk in the hallway, there's a mural there with all sorts of, it kind of looks like someone just came in from the fields and hung up a coat and a powder horn and things. And I looked down and there was a cat painted there. And I said, oh, look, it's a cat. And the owner, Brandon Callahan, said, oh yeah, that's our ghost cat. <laughs> uh, excuse me? So he filled me in on the ghost cat of the Jean Bonnet, and it's in here. Um, there actually were two or three ghost cats. <laughs> um, um, two Rivers had one, has oh one really? apparently, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I was able to, given the time that I had with these folks, just ask questions about things that just, you know, caught my curiosity, and it, many times, it spun out into a whole story or a whole section that I could write about. Um, and uh, what also speaks to my interest is that every place in here is not only open and, you know, 
in business, public that people can visit, but they all serve Pennsylvania wine and spirits, mm -hmm. beer and spirits. Yes. So tell us a little bit about what that experience was like for you. That was so neat because they really, well, first of all, I had a funny conversation at City Tavern. Chapter one had to be in here. Uh, it was amazing. And I talked with the uh, pastry chef. She works with a chef on his television show, A Taste of History. And she talked about the fact that, you know, they are very, they adhere very closely to original recipes. They actually have to be approved by the National Park Service because that's who owns the building. And she talked about, you know, she, she tries to remember, keep in mind that they had no refrigeration, that the food all had to be brought freshly from local farms or ships coming in the harbor. And I said, huh, what, what, what's that phrase I've heard? It's about farms and tables, something. <laughs> and she said, Ex exactly. You know, they, a lot of these places really try to do that because they recognize that that's what these, these original tavern owners had to do out of necessity. So, um, but yeah, the, so the, the Pennsylvania part of it, um, at the Jean Bonnet, the owner there um, has pretty much rotating taps of Pennsylvania breweries, so you may fall totally in love with something. I love the Sly Fox O'Reilly Stout. Last time we were there, he didn't have it on tap, um, but he, he tries to keep it fresh. Um, Two Rivers has its own brewing uh, brewery right in the spot that was probably a uh, uh, an illegal, illegal distillery or brewery. Those words are so hard to say, and I write about them all the time. Um, but uh, because this, <laughs> this, this, this <laughs> sorry, this, this brewery, um, when they were renovating the building, <laughs> has, has, has had a concrete floor, second, second level concrete floor, and all these pipes going into it. Yeah, and they were like, no, that, this makes no sense. This was a garage. Um, but uh, so th they brew their own right there um, at, uh, again, at City Tavern and also at the Bluebell Inn and various others. Yards is very big because, of course, they have the uh, beers, Ales of the Revolution, I think yep. their mm -hmm. line is called. Thank yeah. you. And uh, so, yeah, they, they very much wanted to make sure that these are Pennsylvania places because I think that, that of course, and, and you know, these places, taverns, People came here first because they were hungry and thirsty. And uh, so, yeah, they definitely showcase a lot of the, uh, the, the Pennsylvania um, work around them. Now, I don't want to ask you to, to choose favorites. I'm sure it would be difficult to do. <laughs> um, but what from your research was the most um, maybe outstanding thing, that maybe something that um, mm -hmm. maybe surprised you the most or mm -hmm. that you've upturned, whether it was the history side or the yeah. beverage side? Yeah, yeah. I think one thing, one thread I discovered the the owners and proprietors themselves today all have a little bit of rebellion in them. They are uh, the owner of McCool's when uh, she was about an hour from settlement on the place and, and she drove by and the movers were moving this big Red Lion sign. For years it had been called the Red Lion Inn and somebody in the 1970s or so had done a Red Lion painting and they were taking it out of the building. And she said, you take that out of this building, settlement's off. And they were like, are you kidding? She said, I am totally serious. <laughs> and you had to meet, it's just one of these little fierce women. And uh, so about an hour later, she got a call from the, the sellers and they were like, you know what? You're right, it belongs with the building. Um, so these people, the, the owners, the proprietors, 
they really feel strongly that they are keepers of the tradition and I think three, four, five of them said to me, and probably the others would have said if I had asked, we are just part of a circle. We're just starting what our predecessors, we're, we're just continuing what our predecessors started. At the Dobbin House, there's a uh, cross stitch that says something like, you know, I'd love to, I'd love you to enjoy if you get enjoyment out of anything I share, that makes me happier. I totally paraphrase that. But um, that was a, a saying that the Reverend Alexander Dobbin had said to a guest of his at one point, and they firmly believe that now. That's almost the motto there at the Dobbin House. At the Black Bass in Lumberville, the proprietor who is Scottish, he had he actually ran a, a like a <coughs> excuse me a castle kind of inn in in Scotland um, before he came over here. He talked about being just part of this 245 year continuum, and he said, you know what? And someday I'll be gone, and it, I you know won't matter, but the people who have been here will remember, and I'm just part of this tradition. And there were any number of people at the General Warren also in Malvern, awesome place. And, and the owner, he, he, he's a hoot, um, but he took me outside and he said, okay, look at it. First floor, refreshment, food, drink, second floor, um, lodging. We still do that. He was so excited about this. And he said, you know, we're just, we're just continuing this circle. So I think that was, you know, what, to me, one of the neatest things to find out just the strength of the people who, who run these places. Because, you know, they could be running some chain restaurant somewhere and, and not having to worry about, you know, bees in the attic or something. But, um, but you know, they, they choose these places because they love them and they want to keep the history there along with, you know, the food and the drink and the hospitality. So there is so much information in this book, which is wonderful. How, <laughs> what do you see as like the ideal use for it for readers? How Ooh. do you hope people enjoy this? Uh -huh. Any way they can, um, <laughs> cur curled up with a beer or a glass of wine um, or, a, or a cocktail. Um, it, it really, people have said each chapter is, I don't know how many pages, but it's, it, it's the type of book you can pick up, you can read, learn something you hadn't known about the history, even if you're not in the place. Um, but you can also, um, people are talking about you know, using it for day trips, taking it to these places. Um, every When I've gone back, I've had the owners you know, sign the chapters. Oh, the goats from the Jambonet, they were so cute. Um, but um, so I've, you can utilize it to really learn the things that you're not going to, as I said, see on the back of the menu. Um, so for instance, I'll, I'll read you one, one, one section from the, uh, the Jambonet and just this idea that I had to be careful of fact versus legend. These places are basically built on legends. It's steeped into the foundations, and everyone loves them. But th they're not necessarily factual. Some things, many things, you know, George Washington at the Battle of Germantown, we don't know how factual it is, but many historians have written a lot, a lot about, it, about it, so that I can say, okay, these are authoritative sources. I can write this as, you know, here's what George Washington did at the Battle of Germantown. Other was that difficult for you as a journalist to have to like 
But I don't have a source for this. <laughs> yeah, not really, because I also have a creative nonfiction degree, and they teach you how to the run around, the yeah. workarounds. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I was able to. I, I tried to make very clear in the writing when I was coming to you know a legend alert. <laughs> but but I but I wasn't going to pass up a good story either. So for instance, the Jean Benet. Many of these taverns, the early ones were the sole places of for gathering. And that's one of the reasons that rebellions originally started at City Tavern, at the General Warren, at the Jean Benet, because people got there together. They were griping about something or other. They were drinking. Pretty soon, someone's grabbing a flame torch and a pitchfork, and off they go. So, uh, so, so a lot of legends going on. But here we are at the Jean Benet, and there is a longtime legend about a um, about a hanging in a stairwell when you go right in up the main hallway, stairs go up to the lodging rooms. So here we are at the hanging in the stairwell. When you pass the stairway in the main hall, take time to pause and ref reflect on the fragility of life. Don't hang me, says a voice. I'm not ready. Well, ghost hunters say they hear that repeated plea. The legend of the stairwell hanging is one of the Jean Benet's most persistent although the details differ from one telling to the next. One, General Forbes, building his road in 1758, discovered a spy in his midst. The man was quickly tried, found guilty, and hanged. Hmm, it's not known exactly when this building was built, but 1758 was a full four years before it's known that a building was actually here, so not so sure. Two, highway robbery was a real and pervasive threat. One robber, caught by the townspeople, was brought here since taverns often doubled as courthouses. Trial, guilty, hanged in the stairwell. And three, my favorite, told to me by my husband's cousin, a native of the area, a white man burst into the inn. I'm being chased by Indians, he yelled. The patrons provided shelter, but when the pursuing Native Americans arrived, they said they were giving chase because the man stole their horses. Trial, guilty, hanged in the stairwell. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> um, so what are the, um, the local spots that people that live mm -hmm. here might be able to most easily uh, right. find? Right. Um, as I mentioned, the Dobbin House, um, just beautiful place. It was one of the ones, as I mentioned, that was not originally a tavern, but the, um, the original builder was a kind of groundbreaking uh, minister, pastor, emigrated from Scotland because uh, we think he was probably quite well off, but he came to this new world probably looking for religious freedom. Scots-Irish were uh, very much um, uh, oppressed over in England, so they came over here. And uh, so he came over as minister of a church, built this grand stone home. Um, his first wife died and left him with ten children. Then he married a, ma a woman with nine children. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, funny thing is, the house today, you know, would be like a garage for us. But, um, but uh, so I definitely want. But his, his, he was probably um, abolitionist because his church was his son. One of his sons turned out to be an avid abolitionist. So this son added an addition, a second floor, and there you can quite clearly see. And it's very difficult to certify actual underground railroad um, places. 
again, legend, legend, legend. This one has uh, a pretty good provenance. Um, he built this addition, but there's a, an opening, just a little slot about two and a half, three feet high between floors, and it's behind sliding cabinets. Um, and so, of course, Gettysburg was, um, yes, it was north of the Mason-Dixon line for, you know, fugitive slaves, but it was still not safe because the fugitive slave law was still in effect. You could, they could still be captured and sent back. So, um, so you know, the Dobbin House is there mostly for the Underground Railroad, but it also has a lot of Battle of Gettysburg history. And I also then wanted to include the Farnsworth House and Sweeney's Tavern. They're also in Gettysburg. During the Battle of Gettysburg, the attic was a Confederate sharpshooter's nest. So uh, you could actually see 100 bullet holes on the side of the wall where Union sh soldiers were shooting back at them. And it's amazing to think of this war that just came into these what were beautiful homes, um, just you know, absolutely gorgeous homes. It would be like you know, soldiers bursting into Pinehurst <laughs> today and, 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 um, and just taking over these homes. And uh, so the neat thing about Farnsworth House as well is it also has a bar side called Sweeney's Tavern. And that was where the actors from the making of the movie, Gettysburg, came at the end of the day. Oh, my sister's going, Sam Elliott, Sam Elliott. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's those of us who have acted over the years know that at the end of the day, you don't just shut it off and go home or go back to your hotel room. You, you gotta let off some steam. And so they came and caroused at, uh, at Sweeney's Tavern. And you can actually find a, um, a collection of, uh, of the movie memorabilia, thank you, the uh, costumes and such and props the right there at Sweeney's Tavern. So that's fun to look at. And finally, um, the Horse Inn in Lancaster, which is amazing. Um, yeah, I'm seeing, seeing some nods. It started as a speakeasy. It's called the Horse Inn because it was a hayloft for the stables underneath. In the 20s, I had to assume the, the owner was a contractor, a building contractor, and you know, 20s vehicles, motor vehicles are taking over, so they probably didn't need the stables anymore. But people needed a place to drink, and honest to goodness, when you, the more you learn about prohibition, there was, there was a speakeasy in every neighborhood. People literally just turned their homes, family homes, into speakeasies. Um, and uh, so in this case, they saw a need for speakeasies. So they moved all the old stalls and stables and the, um, the, 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 the wheels, the carriage wheels and things. They moved them upstairs and built a, uh, a bar from a giant door turned sideways from an old Franklin and Marshall building and turned axle wheels into stools. And all of this stuff has been there since 1927 or so. You walk into this place and it's amazing. And the current owners, young couple who bought the place, I think around 2014, 2012, something like that. Yeah, about 2014, I'd say. And they did not have to change a thing. You know, the, the, the owner has said a lot of places, a lot of people put millions of dollars to make their restaurants look like this place, and they didn't have to. And uh, so 
it's, it's a wonderful place. They have a, uh, a burger that's so good that a pair of vegans from Brooklyn sneak down every month to eat it. Wow. <laughs> Incognito that's, that's vegans. Um, <laughs> We've been given the uh, wrap it up signal, so All I'm going right. to throw it back Where's to Alex take? to start yes. the Q&A. Uh, first, can we just give it up for Diane? That was great. So we're going to transition to the audience Q&A. If you have a question, please raise your hand. With crowds like this, I always have the disclaimer. Uh, there's one of me, there's a lot of you, so just be patient. Um, but who has the oh. first question? Okay, here. Yes, in the back. <laughs> Thank you. Um, were there any parents that you considered but you did not include in the book? And if so, why? I was going to ask that too. That's a good one. Good. Thank you. <coughs> Probably, I can't think of any specifics at the moment, but some I would get to a point where they'd say we're historic, but not really explain why. And I'm talking mostly about websites and things. Um, there were some I made some phone calls to, but typically it was just I, I couldn't find that, that rebellious hook. And, and again, re you know, rebellion had to do with any kind of defying authority or, t or tumult in history. So really, it was it was those. And uh, yeah, there are plenty of awesome taverns around um, Pennsylvania, but I really wanted that that rebel hook. There were a couple that never responded to me that I really wanted to include, um, and you know, I just had to say, all right, that's that you know, that no. That's fine. Um, there were some I really chased down very hard. Um, the the wooden keg in uh, Schuylkill, uh, St. Clair, Schuylkill County, um, just because I really wanted the Molly Maguires in here. Um, and uh, so that one, you know, these are very busy people. And so I had to call, call, email, email, drop by with a note, <laughs> call phone. So finally got that one. But uh, so, so, so yeah, um, there, there were some, but mostly if, if I found that rebellion hook, that was that was what got me. Any other questions on the main floor? Uh -oh. Just wondered if any of these taverns uh, promote or have some sort of uh, remembrance of you writing this book. I mean, is there any? I have some events lined up. Um, I'll be at the General Warren in March, kind of a dinner talk. I have had a signing at the Horse Inn. Um, Dobbin House on Remembrance Day was off the charts crazy because I was right there in, in the front entrance. Uh, Remembrance Day is the day um, that uh, the Gettysburg Address is commemorated with a parade of reenactors. So all these reenactors are walking in, walking in. If you go on um, my, I think on my Facebook page for Well Behaved Taverns, it's Well Behaved Taverns Seldom Make History. Um, there's a picture of me with General Grant. He walked in the door and I just kind of snapped to attention. Turns out this gentleman is a great, great nephew of Ulysses S. Grant and the resemblance was crazy. So, uh, so yeah, they have they have been very receptive, and I do hope to talk to some others about you know coming back. They're selling me in their um, in their uh, in their their shops and gift shops and such. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they've been very uh, very pleasant uh, to deal with since. Question on the stairs to the right. Hi, thank you. Wonderful idea for a book. Thank you. Um, 
I'm sort of wondering, um, as you think about Pennsylva local Pennsylvania personality, mm -hmm. um, is there a difference between what happened here and what happened, say, in Massachusetts or mm. in Virginia or Georgia? Um, huh? Taverns with, the, you know, what was the personality? Right. Um, yes and no. I, th I think, uh, you know, I don't know as much about, of course, the, the, the Massachusetts and, and Virginia taverns. And someone did say to me, hey, how about a Boston version? And I thought, hey, I could spend a week or two in Boston and do all, oh, okay. Um, I think you could, you know, probably find, find plenty. And I think a lot of them would be, you know, northeast, east coast kind of, kind of taverns. Um, but uh, I think probably very similar in many ways because you can find these places that do kind of use history as their hook. Um, every establishment has to stand out in some way or another. That's one of the things that the uh, proprietor of the General Warren was telling me that he realized after a while that history is their hook. And so I think, yeah, they, they do want to keep that history going and, and you have what is it, uh, Francis Tavern in New York. Um, there's one down south, uh, I can't think of the name of it, uh, down in South Carolina that looks like it could be, you know, if there's ever a South Carolina edition, we could do the same. So yeah, and, and I think in many states probably still have, you know, speakeasies in existence. And so, so I think, yeah, you could definitely try to see, but have some fun as well, because like especially during the revolution, there were kind of state rivalries going on and they all uh, came at, at revolution from a different perspective. You know, you could say revolution in Massachusetts, not so much in Pennsylvania and things like that. So, so you could uh, have some fun playing with that. So we are running out of time, so we have time for just one more question. <laughs> What's the next book? <gasps> Ooh, who whispered that? I, I have a thought it, it's a question of I this was basically a second job I, I'm I, you know, freelance right for a living this was evenings this was Saturdays this was Sundays this was early mornings this was um, re juggling my schedule this was my husband saying you know get out of there and drink some wine um, there was um, so I have a thought I just need to decide if I really have the can get up the air and, and do it again but I, I would love to tackle more of a narrative thread, like one topic, because this one, um, you know, it, it had its writing challenges, but it was one chapter, one chapter, one chapter. You know, as, as I read, I love narrative history, narrative nonfiction, and uh, so that's keeping those threads going. That that's a challenge. So we'll see. We shall see. Hot tip: drink the wine while writing. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> Can we give it up for Diane and Sarah? Thank <laughs> you.